Hey, the national sales event is on at your Toyota dealer, making now the perfect time to get a great deal on a dependable new SUV like an adventure-ready RAV4. Available with all-wheel drive, your new RAV4 is built for performance on any terrain, from the road to the trails, and with plenty of passenger and cargo space, plus available tech like wireless charging, you and your entire crew can stay connected. Or check out a stylish and comfortable Highlander with three spacious rows of seating for up to eight passengers and with available features like the panoramic moonroof. You can sit back and enjoy the wide-open views with your whole family. Plus, both RAV4s and Highlanders are available in hybrid models, so no matter your style, you can drive efficiently and save on gas. Visit your local Toyota dealer and check out amazing national sales event deals on RAVs, Highlanders, and more when you visit buyatoyota.com. If you're like me, it's now the end of the day, and you say, "Uh uh-oh, what are we going to have for dinner? Well, here's the solution. Eating better is easy with Factors Delicious, ready-to-eat meals. Every fresh, never-frozen meal is chef-crafted, dietitian approved and ready to go in just two minutes. You're going to have over 35 different options to choose from every week, including Calorie Smart, Protein Plus, and Keto. Flexible for your schedule, get as much or as little as you need by choosing your meals every week. Plus, you can pause or reschedule your deliveries at any time. Also, there are more than 60 add-ons to help you stay fueled up and feeling good all day long. Factor is the perfect solution if you're looking for fast, premium options with no cooking required. Sign up and save. We've done the math. Factor is less expensive then take out and every meal is dietitian approved to be nutritious and delicious. What are you waiting for? Get started today and get after your goals. Head to factormeals.com slash smirconish50 and use code smirconish50 because you'll get 50% off. That's code smirconish50 at factormeals.com slash smirconish50. Get your 50% off. Hi, it's Michael Smirkanish. Welcome to Book Club with Michael Smirkanish, a collection of Michael's favorite interviews with authors from the last 30 years through today, on the air, on radio. What sets my book club apart is that I actually read the books. Book Club is now in session. One week ago tonight in California, I was in a bookstore where, coincidentally, John Vandemore was doing a book signing I knew him upon sight because I followed the case. I also was familiar with his story from having watched the Netflix movie Operation Varsity Blues. He is the former Stanford sailing coach. He's the one guy, the one coach, I should say, in college recruiter Rick Singer's scheme who did not accept money for his personal use. He has written a book. It is called Rigged Justice. And he joins me now. John, thank you so much for being here. It was nice to make your acquaintance briefly last week. Yeah, thank you for having me on. So it's February of 2019. The IRS and FBI knock on your door. Page one of your book, you say the following. You probably don't think you need to hear this. I wouldn't have guessed that I did. But here's the thing. When special agents from the Internal Revenue Service and Federal Bureau of Investigation knock on your door at 7 a.m. and flash their badges and ask whether they can come in, your answer should be no. Tell them you're happy to reschedule when you have a lawyer by your side. 
How do you think your story would have been different if you had followed that advice when they knocked on your door? I think it'd be drastically different. Um, you know, talking to my lawyer, he said that that interview was everything for their case um, because they could go in. There's no tape recordings of the interview. It is simply their notes versus what I think happened. Um, and so that was kind of the smoking gun for the government. In simple terms, they say the government claimed that you accepted bribes. You accepted bribes in return for assisting students to gain acceptance to Stanford. Is that a simple version of it? It's not that simple. Um, It it really isn't. Behind this whole thing, the mastermind, Rick Singer, um, really put it as a very gray area for me because he became as a recruiter. He was offering recruits. But then he was also donating himself, or at least that's what I thought, that he was donating himself to our program. So he really sent mixed messages through the whole thing. So it wasn't clear to me that that's what I was doing. Three years before the knock on the door is when you first met him. You you met him because you agreed to take a meeting with him. Who was, who is Rick Singer? Rick is a very intelligent guy, a very charismatic guy. Um, He's very easy to talk to. In that first meeting that I had with him, he was, you know, sat down in the chair, kind of slithered right in, was very easy going, really did his research on me and read me very well. I really knew my insecurities and the team's insecurities and really tapped into that. All told, 50 people were indicted, 33 parents, nine coaches, exam proctors. And of course, my audience will remember two celebrities, two actresses, Felicity Huffman and, and Lori Lachlan. Rick Singer was operating what he described as the side door for college admissions. What was his side door? His side door was finding weakness within the athletic department. So finding coaches that would um, be able to help students get uh, students on the recruiting list to help them get into school. Um, And also to find, I guess I wasn't part of this, but to be able to find the test uh, test taking uh, centers that will be able to have his you know test taker be able to retake the test for the kids in your book you quote him as saying to you so there's a front door of getting in where a student just does it on their own and then there's a back door where people go to institutional advancement and they make large donations but they're not guaranteed to get in and then i created a side door that guaranteed families to get in So that was what made it very attractive to so many families. I created a guarantee. One of the questions that I had as I I read the book was, why why didn't he use the back door? One of these families gives $6.5 million. Don't you get in if you donate $6.5 million? I would imagine so. Um, You know, I think that the key is that, if you donate $6.5 million, that would all go to the university and none of it would go to Rick. In that $6.5 million example, he donated 500000 to Stanford University and he kept you know, the other $6 million, supposedly. All told, am I right that $610,000 comes through you to Stanford via Rick Singer? That's correct, yep. How, how much of the $610,000 did you personally accept? That I personally accept? Zero. How much of the money that Stanford accepted of the 610, as far as you know, was returned by virtue of Operation Varsity Blues? 
So the Stanford has said that they've returned that money or donated it to another organization, but who knows what really happened to that money. In in your case, it was it was three different students, and I think you, you changed two of the names, but it was Molly, Bodie, and Mia that he brings to you. How many of the three were accepted? Uh, Molly was accepted. Um, I wasn't charged with her because she got in on her own um, through the university, but the other two never even applied to Stanford. They never applied, but nevertheless, you had put forth a pink envelope on their behalf? I did. So really what a pink envelope is, is the same exact application, uh, except for you, you can get it earlier. Uh, and uh, admissions would read it under the guise of being a sports recruit, but they would not read the application unless I put in my final support, um, which I never did for either recruit. Okay, so what, what then with regard to those you identified as, as Bodie and Mia, what exactly did you do? So really, I just brought their academics to admissions and said, would they be, you know, acceptable academic-wise? And that's really the only conversation I had with admissions was academics. Both of them qualified academically. They were very good students, um, had great test scores, had great grades, um, hard classes, et cetera. And I put them on my list as possible recruits, but that's as far as I went. With regard to the second one, Bodhi Patel, I think is the name that you you assigned in the book. Am I right? Yes. Yep. Bodhi Bodhi doesn't get in. Bodhi had only mediocre regatta results, and you submitted a pink envelope. Why? Why if this were a media a mediocre uh, athlete with regard to sailing, would you have taken any interest other than the prospect of Rick Singer making a donation to Stanford? Well, really, the the biggest thing for me was that I was trying to find recruits that could really fill out the team and be working hard on the team. It was Stanford is an incredible name. It's an incredible university for athletics and obviously for academics as well. And so I had no problem attracting the A-level recruits. The problem is if you have a team full of rock stars, your team uh, chemistry dives down really quickly. So I need to have kind of the, the worker bees. I need to have players on the team that are going to work hard and want it and push the rock stars every day. So Bodie was someone that I was interested in in doing that with. Mia D'Angelo was the, the third, I think, of, of the three that you, you, uh, you talk about in detail in the book. You did offer a pink envelope on her behalf, but she was not a sailor, true? Right. I was told by Rick that she had some sailing experience, but certainly wasn't categorized as a sailor or a competitive sailor. She was a competitive athlete in gymnastics, or at least that's what Rick told me. And that was really interesting to me because I had had walk-on recruits um, before at both Navy and Stanford that were gymnasts, and they really added to the program. Their athleticism, um, their ability to pick up the sport quickly was really a, a big up for our team. But, John, you can understand why to an outsider like me reading your book with an open mind, I say, well, wait a minute. Okay, he didn't put money in his own pocket, but he did advance the ball, so to speak, on behalf of one mediocre sailor and another who wasn't even a sailor at all. How can that be right? So you have to take it in the athletic context. Um, Really, these players were there to help the team and support the team, and that was the guidance that was given to me by the Stanford is trying to find players that will help the team. And those are the players that you want to support. Again, it's really important to 
think about everybody thinks of college recruiting is that you have to find the best players possible. That's it. That's not how a team really works. You need the people that are going to put that effort in every day and not, you know, if you have a team full of rock stars, some of them is going to sit on the bench and those players that are going to sit on the bench are going to be awfully grumpy and make it really hard for the team chemistry to work. So finding a balance of mix of players is an important role as a coach in recruiting. Were you, were you personally acquainted after Rick Singer introduced you to these individuals where you got a vibe from them that you knew that they could be the counterweight to what you've just described? Or was this all by evaluation of their file? It was evaluation of their file because I never got that far to be able to meet them. Actually, with, with Bodie in particular, I tried to meet him a few times, um, but Rick kept rescheduling. Um, and so I never got far enough along in the recruiting process to actually meet them. So the title of the book is Rigged Justice. I, I guess a, a creative title because rigged has a sailing connotation, also because, and you by all means speak for yourself, you think that this whole case was rigged against you. The subtitle of the book is How the College Admission Scandal Ruined an Innocent Man's Life. Are you here today proclaiming your innocence? That's not really the, the point of the title, um, I was an innocent man going into this whole situation and was really blinded by a con man like Rick. And the reason why I put the title and one of the biggest reasons why I wrote the book is as a warning for everybody. Um, really, this is a cautionary tale to say how you're working hard for your employer. I was an 11 year um, loyal employee. Uh, I worked hard. I found lots of success in my program and I got really blinded by just continuing to try to do what I could for the school and for the student athletes. And I think everybody needs to have a healthy dose of perspective of what you're being asked and what's being asked of you. But in the end, just so my audience is clear, there was no trial. You, you pled guilty to these charges. You were, I think given a, you know, a, a day sentence, you'd never had to go away and, and serve time in a traditional sense, but Nevertheless, you pled guilty, and then at the end of the book, you explain when new evidence came to light, there was an opportunity you had to go back and challenge your plea and the outcome, and you opted not to do it. That's true. Um, you know, I pled guilty because winning for me, if I went through the trial, would be a year away from my family, more, I couldn't predict COVID, um, would be millions of dollars of legal fees that even if I won, I would never get back. My career was already over because it's all about perspective and what the university's perspectives would be. No one's going to hire me. I was still going to be fired in all of this. So I was in, I was nowhere and my family wouldn't be able to get forward. So pleading guilty to me was the easiest way to move my family forward and be able to move my life forward uh, in all of this. In the end, uh, there was a couple cases and a couple issues with this case that opened up some doors that might have allowed me to challenge uh, my plea and, and change my plea. But in discussion with my lawyers, it wasn't, it wasn't enough to be able to do it. One of the big things is with Lori Lachlan and her defense. And she brings up a lot, and I talk about it in my book as well, is that Rick Singer wrote uh, iPhone notes. I mean, it's like 70 pages of notes and all his interactions with the FBI. And it's pretty damning for the FBI and pretty damning for the prosecution that handled this case. A judge was really considering about throwing this whole thing out because of these notes and because the government held on to them without disclosing it for months, even after I pled, they had this in evidence. 
Um, but in the end, the judge didn't do it. So we decided to, to hold Pat. Am I right that Rick Singer has yet to be sentenced? He's cooperated in a manner that you've just described, but, but he's not yet been sentenced. That's correct. Uh, I don't think he will be sentenced until all the cases are over. I know there's two more trials to go, actually maybe three more now, because we have the coaches coming up and then the parents, and the coaches' trial gets split into two. So I, I, I've made crystal clear to the audience that unlike others in connection with this case, you didn't personally profit. No money went in John Vandermore's uh, pocket. Although, by the way, in the third instance of the donation, he wrote that check in a way that I imagine if you'd gone to your bank, you could have deposited it, which may have been his intention. A quick reaction to that? Yeah, I really think it was the FBI's intention um, because they were behind writing that check. So they wrote it to both Stanford University and to me. I didn't even look at the check. I just handed it over to the development office like I did all the others um, and told my um, athletic development officer about it. But I had no idea until later um, before I actually was sentenced that I found out that the check was written to me as well. So final question, by the way, John Vandemore is my guest. The book is called Rigged Justice, How the College Admission Scandal Ruined an Innocent Man's Life. Help me understand, as one who's already read the book, and I hope that my audience will read it as well, what ownership are you taking of all that has transpired? Because I'm, I'm a little, got to be honest, I'm a little confused about it. Having read the book, you come off as a guy who says, hey, he, he played me here as a bit of a dupe. But I don't see you saying, and damn it, I never should have X, and I never should have Y, and I never should have Z. Instead, it's, I shouldn't have answered the door when the cops came. Yes, certainly that's, that's part of it. But I think the ownership that I take over it is my whole interaction with Rick. Um, I, I needed to have that healthy perspective and realize, you know, it was too good to be true. It was a guy who was coming in to get all the stuff from me. And I thought the reverse was happening. And I need to have perspective in order to protect my student athletes um, and protect Stanford as well. I was leaning on Stanford to protect me. And that was my mistake. Um, I should have been much more uh, d- decisive with, with Rick and really found out what he was trying to do with me. Um, so perspective is my biggest lesson going in there and perspective can be dangerous. I mean, it can really lead you down some dark paths and it certainly did in my case. But, but shouldn't it also be a part of your explanation, hey, I shouldn't have taken a check on behalf of someone who was a mediocre sailor because that's not really what we were looking for? So as I explained in my book, the, the check, none of the checks were connected to any of the sailors that were mentioned in the book or any sailor at all. What I, the only check that was connected to any sort of sailor was Molly Zhao, who got in on her own. The 110000 that was later linked by the FBI or by the prosecution to Bodhi Patel was never presented that way to me. He told me that the $110,000 was coming from him and with no strings attached. Those are his exact words, that he was taking a risk on me to not have to accept any of his, uh, his recruits. And so I thought that was really coming from him. So I saw Rick as a donor more than anything else. John, what did you think of the way in which your case was treated in the Netflix Operation Varsity Blues? You know, I was, there's some things that were not totally accurate, but really I was pleasantly surprised of how my case um, and the case in general was presented in there. I thought Netflix did a great job with it. 
Yeah, I thought that they I thought that they they had a very sympathetic treatment of of you in in particular. Well, listen, I hope you're on your feet. You've paid a heavy price. I hope you're on your feet now and that uh, you're getting things back together. And I'm, I'm very appreciative that you would spend time and talk about rig justice. Thank you so much for having me. Really appreciate it. Me too. Thank you for that. Hear more of Michael Smirconish on Sirius XM's POTUS Channel 124. Live weekdays from 9 a.m. to noon east or anytime on the Sirius XM app. Connect with Michael on Facebook, Twitter, YouTube, and at Smirconish.com. Book Club with Michael Smirconish. New episodes drop Tuesdays and Fridays. Can you remember a time when you thought someone you disagreed with might actually be right? In the new podcast, You Might Be Right, former Tennessee governors Bill Haslam and Phil Bredesen pose that question to guests like Paul Ryan, Al Gore, and Judy Woodruff. Come for the stories, stay for the substance and expert insights into some of the most challenging issues facing the country, including affordable housing, crime, and education. Listen to You Might Be Right a new podcast from the Baker School at the University of Tennessee, available wherever you get your podcasts. Luxury is meant to be livable. Discover the new leather collection at Ashley with premium quality leather sofas, recliners, and more, all built to last. No matter how many spills, scuffs, or pet-related mishaps come its way, the leather collection at Ashley is made with the durability you need for the whole family. Shop the new leather collection at Ashley and find chairs starting at $499.99 and sofas at $599.99. Ashley, for the love of home.